Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hello. Um, <laughs> like you heard, my name's Emily, um, and I guess I'm talking to you guys today. So for tradition purposes, um, I have a picture of my family. So this is me. It's kind of not a great quality because it's a picture of a picture, but um, <laughs> I'm on the your left. That's me. And then my older brother, Philip, my mom and my dad, my younger brother, Sam, and my twin sister, Abby. Um, yeah, I love them so much, and they're definitely a part of my life. <laughs> All right, also for the sake of tradition, I have a few titles. Um, so I really have one, but because Reed always comes up with more, I came up with two more. Um, but this is Forgetting to Remember, or Amos Take Three, or just like how Reed can always find a way to bring up Frederick Buechner, I can always find a way to bring up Deuteronomy 8. Um, before I get started, will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we recognize your presence to be as close as the very breath in our lungs. May we become more aware of your closeness as we take some time and meditate on the words of Amos whose breath you used to speak to your people, Israel. Lord, I ask that your breath enters my lungs as I speak, so that I may speak your truth with gentleness and compassion. May the grace of your Son cover the incompleteness of my understanding. In your name, amen. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who are secure on the mountain of Samaria. Those who put far away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near. Who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves on their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the middle of the stall. Who strum on the strings of a harp, who invent for themselves instruments of music like David, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the best oils, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Let me read that again. Woe to those who are at ease at Truman State University, to those who are secure in Violet Hall 1000, those who don't think they'll ever see evil face to face, who lie on beds of cotton and stretch themselves on their couches, and eat ramen noodles out of the pantry, and eat frozen pizza out of the middle of their freezer. Who strum on the strings of a guitar, who have time to experiment with music like David, who drink coffee in a 20-ounce reusable cup and anoint themselves with coconut oil, but are not grieved for the affliction of the world. Do we understand that we live in a time of luxury, leisure, and abundance? We have so much time on our hands that we have time to get silly degrees in school and have silly debates at sermon discussion. We get up in the mornings and take a hot shower with running water and use a toilet without thinking about it. We have an abundant amount of places to fill our water bottles 
We have air conditioning in our homes. Our burdens include staying up too late with friends even though we have a test the next day and choosing what outfit to wear when you are trying to make a good impression, which, when you think about it, are all luxury. This way of living is very normal to us, and I'm not going to say we have it super easy, but as far as literal survival goes, we're doing just fine. The truth is we could survive on a whole lot less. The book of Amos is targeted towards people like us. It's an expression of God's anger toward our downfall of a living in abundance and how easily it can lead to injustice. It is fiery, passionate, and poetically zealous. Amos was a shepherd and farmer who left his home and family when the word of our Lord came to him. He went into the rich and powerful nation of Israel during a time when they were in their most prosperous era yet. First, Amos's attention was on the surrounding pagan nations. For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. For three transgressions of Tyre, of Edom, of the Ammonites, of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. In rhythmic succession, Amos spoke of each of their sins and the punishment that would follow. All the while, I imagine Israel smugly cheering and smirking at their neighbors, thinking to themselves how good it feels to be part of God's chosen people. Then Amos looked at his own people and spoke. For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. I imagine the smiles vanishing from their faces, the cheering becoming silent. What do you mean, Amos? We are comfortable and secure. Our families aren't going hungry, and we sleep on comfortable beds. Here's how Amos responds. They trample on the dust of the earth, on the head of the poor, and deny justice to the oppressed. They have sold the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. How many are your offenses and how great are your sins, you who afflict the just, who take a bribe and who turn away the needy to the, in the courts. You who say, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may market wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, and dealing falsely with balances of deceit? And let us not be careful to be like Israel, smugly cheering and smirking at a people group while we ourselves are no better. What do you mean, Amos? I'm getting A's in my classes, and I'm still finding time to go to small groups and CCF events. I have a job, and I'm feeling financially secure. I keep my room clean, and I'm getting comfortable with the people here. Comfort is not an indicator of a right relationship with God. In fact, comfort can make us too easily blind toward our own sin and the sin that surrounds us. That's why Amos has to be so direct and pointed. It takes a very loud and strong voice to wake someone up from their own comforts. And Amos wasn't declaring a new concept either. Way back when the Israelites were about to enter the Promised Land, Moses was warning them about such a danger in Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied, 
Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Do not forget the Lord your God. Do not forget that every single breath you breathe is a gift. Do not mistake God's strength for your own. Do not forget those times when you stood in God's presence and cried out, woe is me, I am undone. Do not forget your smallness. Do not forget that in your lowest moments, God brought you out of it and rescued you. Do not forget that even if you lost everything you have now, even if the very thing you fear to lose, you lose, that God is no further from you than he is now or ever was. As Deuteronomy says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Let me read that a few more times. Man does not live on money alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live on success alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live on reputation alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live on being liked, loved, honored, consulted, or praised, but on every breath, every mercy, every storm, every truth, every sunrise, sunset, clear night sky, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Stay with me, guys. In this posture, we can, in humility, look to the God of our past with the understanding that he never changes and recognize our dependence on God's breath, grace, and strength so that when we find ourselves in abundance, we too are full of generosity and grace. Let me tell you a story. One Friday morning, as I am getting ready, my best friend, Emma Bushry, who is sitting right there, um, texts me and asking to walk to morning prayer together, to which I am happy to agree to. I am working on things that morning and it isn't until about three minutes before I need to head out the door that I start thinking about breakfast. I quickly grab a couple slices of this sourdough bread with everything bagel seasoning that my parents got me when I was home this past weekend, which is heavenly. I don't think I'll be able to find this bread at Aldi or Walmart here in Kirksville, so I really mean it when I say I cherish this bread. I put honey on these two slices and grabbed a banana on my way out the door. As I walked across the single parking lot that separates Emma and I, I cheerfully munched on one of my slices of bread 
so happy that I thought to grab this before going out the door, and thinking how glad I am that I grabbed two, and not just one, because I am hungry. This will be the perfect thing to get me through to lunch. How smart of me. Plus, I have this banana, so healthy. <laughs> By the time I got to Emma's door, I had eaten one of my slices and started on my other. I was a little surprised Emma didn't come out before I got there because she's always so punctual. Emma's roommate opens the door and I step in and see Emma frantically finishing getting ready. As we are about to go out the door, Emma looks to her kitchen and says, I haven't eaten breakfast, but I don't have time. A certain feeling in my stomach punches me as I look at my happy little slice of bread with a couple of my bite, bite marks in it. I don't really want to offer this to Emma, <laughs> my dearest friend. I was really looking forward to eating it. Plus, I'm still hungry. I haven't gotten my fill yet. Emma had the choice to make breakfast herself. <laughs> if she had just gotten up sooner, or, <laughs> or maybe was more efficient choosing an outfit or something. My stomach all of a sudden felt empty, like it would starve if I didn't eat this slice of bread. <laughs> all of these thoughts ran through my head in a matter of a millisecond. I don't even fully comprehend all of them at the time. I didn't know, but I did know that I had that funny feeling in my stomach, that feeling of going hungry if I gave up my precious bread that fear of not having enough to take care of myself, that fear of acting in compassion from an overflowing cup would result in it running dry. Yes, of course, I offered my slice of bread to Emma. <laughs> I split my banana with her too, and I was very happy to do it. I was only slightly envious when she started ranting how yummy the bread was when I didn't have one to taste for myself. But nevertheless, there was hardly a choice when it came down to it. But it is that feeling in my stomach that I am talking about when Deuteronomy goes, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That feeling that can paralyze you when you see someone in need at an inconvenient time, or when you had only just gotten that thing before realizing someone else needs it too or when you weren't mentally prepared to have this person's burden on your plate in addition to all the other things in your life. That fu funny feeling, that fear of not having enough, is a dangerous feeling. Yes, it sounds really silly when I'm talking about a slice of bread, or when someone forgets their wallet and for a moment you hesitate before saying you'll cover for them, or when you're tied on time and someone asks you for a ride and you reluctantly say, of course, but worry about being late to the social gathering you're going to. But we have to take it seriously, because if we don't, then we might forget our dependence on God and focus more on looking out for ourselves than for other people. Because if we don't, as Nate Komar would say, bad things will happen. If we start to listen to that funny feeling in our stomach over time, we might find ourselves in a similar place as Israel. For three transgressions of Israel, yes, for four, I will not turn away its punishment, 
because they have sold the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the dust of the earth and on the head of the poor and deny justice to the oppressed. And a man and his father use the same maiden to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down beside every altar on clothes taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Are people at Truman or CCF selling people into slavery? Are we scamming people for money? Maybe not. But that doesn't mean we get to say that we are fine and there's nothing to take note of. You see, that funny feeling and the sin of Israel, it all comes from the same seed. If we nourish the seed of fear of not having enough, it will eventually grow up to be a tree that takes advantage of other people in order to feel more secure or comfortable. And those same sins of Israel are present in the world we live in, and that should grieve us as it grieves God. It can be easy to create a bubble of existence, to shelter ourselves from some of the harder things in life and maybe even escape from some of the ugly parts of ourselves that come out in those harder times. Let me tell you about my hometown in Adel, Iowa. I lived there for 18 years of my life. It is the most familiar, predictable, and comforting place I can come up with. The large majority of the town is Christian, and while I attended public school, it was generally safe to assume that my teachers were also Christian. I remember feeling perfectly safe to write about my faith in my English classes and even bring up the topic of God and Jesus in class discussions and debates. I attended the same church, New Hope, ever since I can remember and was there as it grew from meeting in the school auditorium to having a building of its own. There are so many people that were there at the beginning like me and are still there, and I see them every time I visit home. It is very safe there. When my siblings and I were sharing a car in high school, we would often leave the car keys in the ignition for convenient purposes. I ran in the mornings a lot by myself and around town. There is a certain amount of like-mindedness that I find in Adel. The houses, while being technically different, all kind of look the same. Most people tended to fall into the same side politically. It was relatively peaceful, stable, and a secure place to grow up in. I am very thankful for my upbringing and the stability and the security there. And those things are, in fact, good things to desire. I consider them gifts from God. It is not inherently bad to have beds of cotton or to eat ramen noodles. Where the danger is, is to become blind to the reality of evil and to not be grieved for the affliction in the world. When in our comfort and security, we refuse to see outside the bubble we have created and choose to live detached from the rest of the world. God is greatly grieved by the corruption in the world. This is something that should weigh heavy on our hearts, not in a way that hardens our hearts to be hateful, but in a way that makes us long for more that serves as a reminder that while we are living in a world where Christ has conquered all, he also has not come back yet. And it's the tension of God's kingdom being already here and also not yet. God is calling us out, calling us out in our cowardice and also calling us to come out of our bubbles. 
God wants more of us and for us. He wants us to come out into the chaos and confusion in the world, and he promises to be by our side. We are vessels to right in the wrong and put in place justice that redeems our Lord's creation and revive it to be how it was originally intended. Once we are secure, not in bread or money or reputations, but in God, we can see the world with eyes of compassion and grace and stop living out of self-interest and perceived scarcity. We can instead be self-sacrificing in our abundance. I'm almost done, you guys, stay with me. Do you know the first thing that God says after his first rebuke of Israel? The thing that directly follows is this. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, whose height was like the height of cedars, and he was strong as oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Isn't this true, you children of Israel? God immediately reminds Israel of their past. Do you remember, he seems to say? Remember the wilderness where I provided you every morning with manna? Remember when I followed you by cloud in the day and by fire at night? Remember when Moses would come down from the mountain and his face would literally be glowing from my glory? Remember how obvious your dependence on me was? Amidst all the accusations that appear in Amos is a call to remember the Lord our God, even and arguably especially in our abundance. When we see people in need, we should be humbled. We should be reminded of our own deserts and wilderness. We should remember that the same breath that is sustaining us is also sustaining them, so that we can recognize our overflowing cup of blessing and freely share with the people around us. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for the breath in our lungs and the blood in our veins. May we, may we remember our dependence on you.